0: This is the Bible in One Year, Day 133. How to Deal with Desperate Times I don't suppose there are many places where Alpha happens to the sound of gunfire and rockets flying. But for us, the message is simple. It's about hope, light and a future, because it's about Jesus. This is what Canon Andrew White, Vicar of St. George's Baghdad, wrote to me in a letter describing their Alpha course. They were in a desperate situation. The church had been bombed more than once. Many people in their congregation had been killed. Some of the leaders had been kidnapped. For some, profession of faith in Jesus means almost certain death. Yet in these desperate times, Andrew White is able to say that Jesus brings hope, light and a future. David, in the Psalms, speaks of desperate times. There are times in life when everything seems to go wrong. Maybe even now you're facing a desperate situation, perhaps with your health, a bereavement, the breakdown of a relationship, work problems, family difficulties, financial trouble, or a combination of these. Even in desperate times, you can find the three great virtues of faith, hope, and love. Psalm 60 You have
1: rejected us, God, and burst upon us. You have been angry. Now. Restore us. You have shaken the land and torn it open. Mend its fractures, for it is quaking. You have shown your people desperate times. You have given us wine that makes us stagger. But for those who fear you, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow.
0: Hope, despite apparent defeat. Sometimes it appears God's people are being defeated. While there's a great revival in many parts of the world, such as Asia, in Western Europe, for example, church attendance has been in decline. Churches get closed. Christian faith is marginalized. There are desperate moments in the history of the people of God. This psalm is a national lament after a conquest by their enemies. The people of God felt dejected. David says, You have shown your people desperate times. He uses the image of an earthquake to describe the desperation and uncertainty they faced. You have shaken the land and torn it open. Mend its fractures, for it is quaking. The same image is used today to describe turmoil in all spheres of life. The instability of the economy, corporate institutions, marriage and community are all often portrayed as shaking and fractured. Yet there is hope. David writes, For those who fear you, you have raised a banner to be unfurled against the bow. The Lord has designated a place where his people can find refuge under his protection and be confident in the Lord, even in desperate times. Thank you, Lord, that even in desperate times I can take refuge under your protection. New Testament, John 7 and 8 Finally.
1: The temple guards went back to the chief priests and the Pharisees, who asked them, Why didn't you bring him in? For no one ever spoke the way this man does, the guards replied. You mean he has deceived you also, the Pharisees retorted. Have any of the rulers or of the Pharisees believed in him? No. But this mob that knows nothing of the law, there is a curse on them. Nicodemus, who had gone to Jesus earlier and who was one of their own number, asked, does our law condemn a man without first hearing him to find out what he's been doing? They replied, Are you from Galilee too? Look into it, and you will find that a prophet does not come out of Galilee. John chapter 8 Then they all went home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn, He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered round him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him but Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, Let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time, the older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin.
0: Love rather than condemnation. Is sex outside marriage acceptable, or is it sinful? If it is, what should our attitude be to those who are guilty of sexual sin? The debate about sexual ethics continues to fill our media today. The teaching of Jesus is as relevant now as it was 2,000 years ago. The words of Jesus were the greatest words ever spoken, the kind of words you'd expect God to speak. The temple guards declared, No one ever spoke the way this man does. It's so sad that some religious leaders failed to recognize him and regarded those who did believe in him as this mob. This woman, caught in an act of adultery, must have felt absolutely desperate. Despair can come from defeat. It can also come from moral failure. She must have been experiencing both, filled with guilt, shame, and fear of death. The condemners tried to trap Jesus with a question. Jesus gives one of the most brilliant, memorable, and often quoted replies in the history of the world. Let any of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. Jesus did not condone her adultery, nor did he regard it as the unforgivable sin. He demonstrated how easy it is to condemn others while being guilty of the same sins in our own hearts. This can be applied in many areas of our lives. Before we criticise others, it's worth asking ourselves whether we are without sin in that area, that we're about to criticise in another. When we judge, accuse and condemn others, we project on them what we refuse to see in ourselves. As is often said, people who live in glass houses shouldn't throw stones. In the context of the debate about sexual ethics, as we look at our own hearts, There is often a lot of glass around. In the account of the woman caught in adultery, each of the condemners is convicted by Jesus' words until eventually only Jesus was left. Jesus asks her, Has no one condemned you? When she replies, No one, sir, he says, Neither do I condemn you. Go now and leave your life of sin. Guilt is a horrible emotion. Condemnation is a terrible state to be in. How amazing it must have been to hear the words of Jesus. Then neither do I condemn you. Since he was without sin, Jesus was the one person there in a position to throw stones, but he did not. There's an extraordinary balance, an almost unique combination in the words of Jesus, full of wisdom and grace, mercy and compassion. Jesus could not be clearer, that adultery is sin. Yet he did not condemn her in any way. This is the message of the New Testament. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As a result of Jesus' death for us on the cross, you and I can be totally forgiven, however far we may have fallen. Yet, this is not a reason to go on sinning. Jesus does not condone her sin. He says to her, Leave your life of sin. Jesus does not condemn us, but he does say to us, as he said to her, Leave your life of sin. Jesus' words, as always, are motivated by love and compassion. Follow his example. It's easy to fall into one of two opposite extremes. Either we condemn people or we condone sin. Love does not condemn, nor does it condone sin, because sin leads people. To people getting hurt. If we love like Jesus, we will neither condone sin nor condemn people, but lovingly challenge people, including ourselves, to leave sin behind. The Greek word for to forgive means to liberate. Jesus came to liberate you by the power of his Holy Spirit. You are liberated to love as God loves you. Forgiveness is at the heart of every relationship. It is the essence of love. Lord, thank you that there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Thank you that you die to make it possible for me to be cleansed, forgiven, and to go free. Help me to love people as you did. Old Testament, Judges 16 and 17.
1: One day... Samson went to Gaza, where he saw a prostitute. He went in to spend the night with her. The people of Gaza were told, Samson is here. So they surrounded the place and lay in wait for him all night at the city gate. They made no move during the night, saying, At dawn we will kill him. But Samson lay there only until the middle of the night. Then he got up and took hold of the doors of the city gate together with the two posts, and tore them loose, bar and all. He lifted them to his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that faces Hebron. Sometime later, he fell in love with a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. The rulers of the Philistines went to her and said, See if you can lure him into showing you the secret of his great strength and how we can overpower him, so that we may tie him up and subdue him. Each one of us will give you eleven hundred shekels of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Tell me the secret of your great strength, and how you can be tied up and subdued. Samson answered her, If anyone ties me with seven fresh bowstrings that have not been dried, I'll become as weak as any other man. Then the rulers of the Philistines brought her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she tied him with them. With men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you. But he snapped the bowstrings as easily as a piece of string snaps when it comes close to a flame. So the secret of his strength was not discovered. Then Delilah said to Samson, You've made a fool of me. You lied to me. Come now. Tell me how you can be tied. He said, If anyone ties me securely with new ropes that have never been used, I'll become as weak as any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and tied him with them. Then, with men hidden in the room, she called to him, Samson, the Philistines are upon you! But he snapped the ropes off his arms as if they were threads. Delilah then said to Samson, All this time you've been making a fool of me and lying to me. Tell me how you can be tied. He replied, If you weave the seven braids of my head into the fabric on the loom and tighten it with a pin, I'll become as weak as any other man. So, while he was sleeping, Delilah took the seven braids of his head, wove them into the fabric and tightened it with a pin. Again she called to him, Samson! The Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and pulled up the pin and the loom with the fabric. Then she said to him, How can you say I love you when you won't confide in me? This is the third time you've made a fool of me and haven't told me the secret of your great strength. With such nagging, she prodded him day after day until he was sick to death of it. So he told her everything. No razor has ever been used on my head, he said, because I've been a Nazarite dedicated to God from my mother's womb. If my head were shaved, my strength would leave me, and I would become as weak as any other man. When Delilah saw that he had told her everything, she sent word to the rulers of the Philistines, Come back once more. He has told me everything. So the rulers of the Philistines returned with the silver in their hands. After putting him to sleep on her lap, she called for someone to shave off the seven braids of his hair and so began to subdue him. And his strength left him. Then she called. Samson, the Philistines are upon you. He woke from his sleep and thought, I'll go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Then the Philistines seized him, gouged out his eyes, and took him down to Gaza. Binding him with bronze shackles, they set him to grinding corn in the prison. But the hair on his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. Now the rulers of the Philistines assembled to offer a great sacrifice to Dagon, their God, and to celebrate, saying, Our God has delivered Samson, our enemy, into our hands. When the people saw him, they praised their God, saying, Our God has delivered our enemy into our hands, the one who laid waste our land and multiplied our slain. While they were in high spirits, they shouted, Bring out Samson to entertain us. So they called Samson out of the prison, and he performed for them. When they stood him among the pillars, Samson said to the servant who held his hands, Put me where I can feel the pillars that support the temple, so that I may lean against them. Now the temple was crowded with men and women. All the rulers of the Philistines were there, and on the roof were about three thousand men and women watching Samson perform. Then Samson prayed to the Lord. Sovereign Lord, remember me. Please God, strengthen me just once more, and let me with one blow get revenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. Then Samson reached towards the two central pillars on which the temple stood. Bracing himself against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other, Samson said, Let me die with the Philistines. Then he pushed with all his might, and down came the temple on the rulers and all the people in it. Thus he killed many more when he died than when he lived. Then his brothers and his father's whole family went down to get him. They brought him back and buried him between Zorah and Eshteol in the tomb of Manoah his father. He had led Israel for twenty years. Judges chapter 17 Now a man named Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, The eleven hundred shekels of silver that were taken from you and about which I heard you utter a curse, I have that silver with me. I took it. Then his mother said, The Lord bless you, my son. When he returned the eleven hundred shekels of silver to his mother, she said, I solemnly consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make an image overlaid with silver. I will give it back to you. So after he returned the silver to his mother, she took two hundred shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who used them to make the idol. And it was put in Micah's house. Now this man Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod and some household gods, and installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. A young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, who had been living within the clan of Judah, left that town in search of some other place to stay. On his way he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. Micah asked him, Where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. Then Micah said to him, Live with me, and be my father and priest, and I'll give you ten shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man became like one of his sons to him. Then Micah installed the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me, since this Levite has become my priest.
0: Faith in the midst of chaos. These were desperate times. There's a refrain that runs through the book of Judges. In those days, Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. This was a time of chaos. In these desperate times, God raised up judges, like Samson. He led Israel for 20 years. He was one of the heroes of faith. Anointed by the Holy Spirit, God used him powerfully. However, he also had a weakness that led to immorality, sleeping with a prostitute, and deception. Eventually, he pushed God to the limit through his persistent disobedience, and the Lord left him. Samson received extraordinary strength from God, but it was directly related to his obedience. God had told him not to cut his hair. So long as he obeyed God, he would have supernatural strength. However great a person of God may be, it's vital to remember that strength comes from God alone. Jesus said, Without me you can do nothing. Never rely on past victories, but rather on God who gave them. After persistent temptation, Samson gave in and told Delilah the secret of his strength although it must have been obvious to him by then that she would take advantage of him. She cut his hair and his strength was gone. Not only was the society chaotic, but also Samson reached a point of utter desperation in his own life. He was in captivity, he was blind, and his captors were about to make a spectacle of him. In the midst of his despair, Samson prayed to the Lord, O Sovereign Lord, remember me, O God. Please strengthen me just once more. And God heard his prayer of faith. Even after all his failures, God still answered Samson's cry. No matter what the situation, and no matter what you've done, it is never too late to turn back to God. Lord, thank you that I can find refuge in your presence. "'and that you always hear my desperate cries for help. "'Lord, help!
1: adds. "'Judges 16. "'We see Samson again as this extraordinary leader. "'He was more like the Incredible Hulk, "'with a bad taste in women. "'He fell in love with Delilah. "'She was a heartless woman. "'She was willing to betray the man who loved her. "'Why did he tell her his secret?' After she'd already betrayed him three times, he must have known she could not be trusted. He was so strong physically, but weak when it came to women. He's not the only great leader to fall because of a woman.